we're going to have a, a study tonight and I'm simply entitled it, Have You Washed Your Hands? Have you washed your hands? Let's just buy in a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we just thank you for your word. And we just thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that he has risen from the dead. But we thank you, Lord, for our sins that are paid for in full and forgiven through the power of the blood of the Lamb. Father, we ask you now as we gather around your word this evening that you'll bless every single person that watches, whether it's live or later. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, that you would help me to rightly divide the word of truth. Father, glorify your Son. Glorify your name. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would not only help us now, but help us through this time that the, the, the earth is going through, that the world is going through, that our nations are going through. And Father, you'd keep us safe, our families and our friends. And we pray right now, Father, for those who are serving along the front lines, as it's called, Father, to whatever capacity they're in, that you'll bless them and protect them, Lord, from dangers seen and unseen. And we ask you, Father, that you keep your hand upon them. For those who are ill, we pray for their healing, pray for their health, and we ask you, God, that you would restore them back again. Father, we look forward to the day when this old virus is taken away and removed uh, from our nations and from the earth. And we pray, Father, we look forward to the day of the return of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we ask all this, giving you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I trust you have your Bibles with you. And if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Matthew, pardon me, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We're going to start there uh, this evening. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 7, and we'll read the first nine verses of the chapter, and then we'll look a little bit more at it. But uh, this is really something we're going to have to, we're not going to dissect it uh, too much tonight in Mark chapter 7, but we're going to look at other things. And so we're going to read from verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things be there, there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God. Ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. So the Lord Jesus here he's before the Pharisees and the scribes and they, uh, they're amazed at him and, and they, they look as it were down their nose at him. And they're saying, how is it that your disciples are eating bread without washing their hands? And uh, whenever we read this in verse 2, it says, and when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. Now, by the time we get to verse 15 of the chapter, which we didn't read, but verse 15, the Lord Jesus says, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile him. And the age-long argument is, is Jesus making every animal clean for food here? That they would eat pig or whatever else, shellfish and so on. And the answer is, he's not really saying that here. That where we're talking about tonight, that is a different subject altogether. But what we're talking about tonight is the unwashing or the dirty hands, as it were, unwashed hands that the disciples were eating bread with. So these Pharisees were looking at them and according to verse 15, it may seem that 
maybe Jesus is being um, a little lax here. Some might look at that and say, well, well, what's wrong with asking them to wash their hands before food? We're living in a time, especially now, we're living in a time when we're told to wash your hands, to wash your hands, to wash your hands. The spreading of this COVID-19 coronavirus, and we can all uh, stem it and help stop it by the washing of our hands often. And, and I'm for that, and that's okay. And so you would think now, especially with our mindset, that maybe they're saying here, why are you uh, not washing your hands? Maybe Jesus is just being through other and he's not washing his hands. The disciples are not washing their hands. And so the Pharisees, well, maybe they're just being, uh, they're, they're, they're being uh, like cleanliness uh, is next to godliness, as some people think, you know, that we can wash ourselves clean, uh, uh, close to God. When you see, they actually did think that. And that's what we want to look at for a few moments here this evening, first of all. First of all, these men who came to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his disciples, they said you're defiled because you haven't washed your hands. I read an article once, and this is what it said, that here the Jews, pardon me, that here Jesus gives us all the permission to eat without washing our hands, and so in faith we may do so. That was an article that I had read not so long ago, and I think that that article is so wrong. That article is so wrong because, you see, what this man who had written the article was saying was, oh yeah, it's all right, eat with unwashed hands. You can eat with the dirty hands and the germs in your hands. And I many, many times people do that, especially in workplaces. Uh, but at the idea of this is, well, we can eat and we won't be infected. We eat it in faith and nothing deadly will harm us. And, and look, I'm a Pentecostal. I make no apology for that. But I'm not one of these people without wisdom. And I believe that sometimes people can be without wisdom. So it's not that we can eat what we want and, oh yes, well, we are the children of God and we will eat what we want and nothing will happen. That's not what this means at all. You know, for example, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 18, the Lord Jesus says, they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And so they take a line like this and they take it almost out of context where you get to the point, well, you know, well, can we drink poison? Can we drink bleach? And it won't hurt us. Should we go down to the kitchen? Please don't. Please don't. Because we shouldn't. The idea is we cannot do that. Uh, there was a, a preacher preaching one time, an old preacher, and I'm told about he was in full flight in his preaching, uh, there was a, a man in the crowd who shouted up to him. And he says, Jesus, here, here's a bottle of poison. And Jesus says, you drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. Uh, so drink it and prove to us all that Jesus is alive and well and you're God and he'll protect you. And I love the, 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 the reply of the preacher. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And that's it. You shan't, shall not tempt the Lord thy God. I remember when I pastored in Dublin in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. I remember one time there was a, a, an Indian girl um, who came to the church and her and her two friends had invited me to come for something to eat. And I went to their home for something to eat. And one was a Muslim girl and she stood at one side of the table and the two Indian girls were cooking. And I, my favorite food is Indian spicy food. And when they were uh, around the table, I realized that they had given me naan bread. And I have an allergy, a gluten allergy. And I didn't want, especially with a Muslim girl thereafter, I'd give thanks. I didn't want this to look like God, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the God that I serve, the living God, that he wasn't powerful enough. And I prayed, Lord, help me if I eat this in your name, that you'll keep me, that I won't be sick. I had a meeting to go to after it. You know, I ate that bread and usually if I eat a little bit of it, I'd be ill. And I ate that bread and when I ate it in Jesus' name and in faith, not one part of me was sick that time. Not one bit of me took ill. And I went down and I preached in a meeting straight after that in the city centre of Dublin. Times like this, I believe maybe these verses can, can speak to us. 
But was the Lord Jesus Christ saying, oh, don't eat with your hand, washed hands ever. Don't ever do that. We don't need to wash our hands and have the germs that, of, of all these things that we pick up during the day and you can eat without unwashing hands. According to this man who, who had written this in this article, he's saying that is what Jesus was doing. But I beg to differ that he was not doing that. He was not doing that whatsoever. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 6, we have the time when the devil comes to tempt the Lord in the wilderness. And in Matthew 4 and 6, he says, If thy be, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, if you remember, and if thy be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up at any time, lest I dash thy foot against a stone. And in verse 7, it says, Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Could Jesus have thrown himself off the pinnacle of the temple? I believe he could have, because he was the Son of God. But even he was keeping that which he is relating to us, not to break this law of God, not to tempt the Lord our God. I don't believe he would lead us that way in any sense, shape or form whatsoever. So during this time of COVID-19, some people are saying things like, and a lot of these are, are preachers and pastors and ministers of the gospel. And they're saying things like, we should meet as normal in the church because we are God's people. Listen, I miss my church fellowship. I miss the worship in our church. I miss the people of CET, Christ Encounters Tabernacle. I miss our fellowship. And, I, and when I'm there on a Sunday morning preaching to an empty church, there's one man on a camera, Andrew Steele at the back. That's it. And it's not easy. I miss that in the church. I miss our fellowship together, CET. I love you and I miss you and I can't wait that we're together again. But a shepherd also looks after his sheep to keep them from danger. Whether that is right of me or wrong of me, whatever way people think of me, I'm the shepherd and I will answer to God for these things. Listen, if the government came to take away our religious and civil liberties, if the government came and says you'll never open because of the gospel, then I'll open. But this is different. But this is different. Notice people say we should meet in faith. For the word says in Psalm 91 and verse 10, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. And that is true. The word says that. And I trust the word in its right place. In its right context. I trust the Lord. And I have seen the Lord keep his hand on me. I've seen the Lord love me in spite of me. I've seen the Lord help me and bless me when I should have discarded me. I have been in other countries where I have been attacked. I was in Romania and I was out there and I was attacked. And the Lord protected me. I walked through areas that were dangerous and I shouldn't have been in, and I realized the Lord's hand was upon me, and people don't realize how I've come so far. And that even from before I was saved, and the things I'd done, and the places I was at, and what I got up to, and the places I found myself in, and, and the problems, and the, and the very troubles. And God had blessed me in spite of me, not because of me, because he had chosen to love me, but I will not tempt the Lord my God. And neither will I cause you to tempt him either, church. Neither will I cause you to be harmed because of something that I will take out of context in the church, in his word. In Matthew 10 and verse 16, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Notice wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And you know, in Genesis 3 and 1, it tells us that the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent was the most subtle. Jesus doesn't want us to become like the serpent. He wants us to have wisdom. Wisdom greater than Mother Eve had. Who was beguiled by the serpent. Wisdom greater than Father Adam had. Father Adam, who then broke the laws of God 
and went in sin and brought forth sickness and death. Yes, he wants us to be wiser than the serpent who done the beguiling at the start. Be wise, Christian. Be wise unto these things. And notice they said the early, the early disciples, they were to be wise and they were to be harmless. In other words, they were not to be quick to wrath and not to be looking to go out to do harm for, on, on purpose on anyone. And so in Matthew 10 and verse 23, the Lord Jesus tells us another way to use wisdom. Matthew 10 and verse 23, it says, But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. Jesus said that to his disciples. Listen, you're going to be preaching the gospel. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another city. Run. Go somewhere safe. Hide and then preach again. And they, when that one persecutes you, leave it, shake dust from off your feet and go to the next one, and to the next one, and to the next one. This is using wisdom. We're not to be mad. We're not to be senseless. We're not to be stupid and blinded. We're not to be running around seeking some sort of martyrdom. Look, you see, I was able to do these things and eat with unwashing hands and, and I was not washing my hands through the whole COVID sort of uh, pandemic and all of these things. Whatever, I have my ideas on what that pandemic is and who's behind it and what's behind it and maybe someday I'll talk about it. But it's not the point. There's people dying now. Whether it's a, the amount that they say or it isn't the amount that's being told, I'm not going to get into all of that. There are people dying now. Good people are dying. People's loved ones are dying. And here's the thing. There's pastors have passed away and ministers of the gospel. And their families are mourning too. Christian people who love the Lord. We have to use wisdom, brothers and sisters. We have to be wise. We have to be wise. Notice here, we're not to run around seeking martyrdom. If Christ had it for us to be martyred like the reformers or the early church, if Christ had us to be martyred, then so be it. We will give our lives for him if it was to come and if it comes now. But for us to be stupid and senseless and to go to somewhere to sit where we are going to be picking up things that are invisible to us and taking the word of God out of context that we cannot know how to fight against this enemy. Brothers and sisters, let's be wise. Let's use wisdom. God has given us a mind and a mind for wisdom. Notice here, wisdom is a, a gift of God. And Proverbs chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says these words. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. Discretion will preserve thee when you're wise. Understanding, understanding the times, understanding the dangers, understanding the need of the hour and of the moment. Here's a, here's a pastor from Tennessee, I'm told, has written something about trusting God. And I thought it was simple, but profound. Let me just read this to you. He writes, I trust God and I wear my seatbelt and I trust God and I wear my motorcycle helmet. I trust God and there are enough life jackets in my boat for everyone on board. I trust God and I use oven mitts with really hot dishes. I trust God. I lock my house at night. I trust God and have smoke detectors in my house and in my home. I trust God, and I take my prescribed medicines. I trust God, and I will follow the best guidelines to share the task of flattening the curve. Brothers and sisters, because we're using wisdom does not mean that we are not trusting God. I trust God. If I was going through an operation in the hospital, I'll trust God and I'll pray for the surgeons that God will direct their hands and give them the wisdom. 
I trust God. God can heal. Absolutely, yes, he can. I've seen it in my ministry. Many people healed in our church. People could testify of divine healing, not from my hands, from the hands of the Lord alone. I have seen it in my own wife. I've seen it. So I believe it. But that's God to do it, and it's not mine. Brothers and sisters and friends, I trust God, but he's given me wisdom. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, we know this verse so well, and it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And you know, that's a great verse, and I, I fully accept the scripture, and I often lay hold on this scripture. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me in its context. I can't jump out of an airplane without a parachute. I won't jump in front of a speeding train at the last moment expecting it to stop because I can do all things through Christ. And I won't stand or jump into a pit of snakes and expect not to be bitten. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus says, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile a man. So is Jesus saying, it's all right to eat without your hands being washed? Is that what he was saying? Is that what this whole chapter almost is about? Unwashed hands, really? Notice here, if we turn to the chapter, the Lord was saying more than that. Chapter 7, and in verse 2, And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. There's the unwashed hands. Verse 3 says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Now mark it. Holding the tradition of the elders. Verse 4, And when they come from market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Notice the washing now. It's not all about hands. It's about everything else. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according, notice, to the tradition of the elders? This is nothing to do with God's commandments. This is nothing to do with walking right before God. The tradition of the elders, this is. But eat bread with unwashing hands. The unwashing hands were to do with the tradition of the elders. It was to do with ceremony and ritualism. Notice. And then it goes down at verse 6, And he answered and said unto them, Well said Isaiah, or Isaiah, He prophesied of you hypocrites. Jesus calls them hypocrites. As it is written, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit, notice, in vain do they worship me. Now note this, Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Tradition of the elders, the commandments of men. That's what the unwashing hands or the hands that were not washed was to do with. Because then it is clarified in verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. As the washing of pots and cups and other such things, like things ye do. Notice, and he said unto them, Full well, ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Now you see the bigger picture. Now you see the greater picture. It is not to do with the washing of hands. And well, maybe they've been out in the field and they've lifted something to have a, a bite to eat. And Jesus was saying, we don't need to wash our hands. No, no, no. It was to do with more than that. The washing of the hands was not for personal cleanliness. It was not for personal cleanliness, but it was for ceremonial purposes. And that's what Jesus was attacking. The tradition of the elders. The commandments of men. 
That's what Jesus was speaking of. For they washed, and then they washed all these other things. And what they thought was, as the old saying is even used today, cleanliness is next to godliness. There's nothing can cleanse our sin. There's nothing can make us godly but Christ himself and the blood that he shed. But Christ himself and the precious blood that he shed. So Jesus wasn't being foolish by saying don't wash your hands. Jesus was saying no matter how much your outward cleansing does, you're still not right with God. Isn't that what religion's like? Is not what traditions like. Is not what denominations are like. I, I mean, those who lean on ritual rather than preaching the word of God. It's not what it's about. It's about the do's and the this and the that's and the others. It's about the. It's about all that we that looks good on the outward appearance. It's about the works and the alms and the deeds. No matter where you're from and who you are or what religion it is, but Jesus says. That's all the outward manifestation that you're trying to clean everything up. And maybe there's someone watching and you're saying, I'll wait until I clean my life up and then I'll get right with God. Or I'll clean my act up and I'll call in the name of the Lord. And I've heard it so many times, friend. You can't clean your life up. You may stop your habits, but you can't clean your life up because you'll still be in your sin. You must come to Christ and you must repent of your sin and come under the blood of the Lamb. You must be washed by faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us look at for a minute about washing hands. Have you washed your hands? Have you washed your hands? There was a man called, he was a, a, a Hungarian doctor. And he's called Ingal Samuelis. Ingal Ignal Samuelis. Strange, strange name. And he was a doctor in the Vienna Hospital, the Vienna General Hospital. And in around 1846, he realized that there was a, two different maternity wards on the hospital. There was the midwife run the maternity ward, and there was the, the, the doctors and the student doctors maternity ward in the same hospital. And they were having records where the, 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 the doctors and the student, run, student doctor run maternity ward they were finding a lot of the women who were giving birth to their babies were, were contracting sickness and dying. And there's a high death rate compared to the, 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 uh, the maternity ward run by the midwives. And so this man, Ignal Semmelweis, he, he decided to try and find out why it was so that, like, they're doctors. The idea is we're doctors and we're fixers. Uh, we get you better, um, but more are dying in our watch than in this maternity ward. And so what he did was he'd he done an investigation and he realized that the doctors and the, and the student doctors were also working with autopsies. So they're in cutting up the bodies and the autopsies. And then a woman is about to give birth and they go into the maternity ward and they birth the baby. And he linked the two of these together, which obviously we know now we would be horrified at this. They didn't realize this in the 1800s. And this is around 1846. And so Ignal Samuelweis, he, he realizes, you know, there's a link between this. So what he did was he got the doctors and the student doctors, every time they worked at an autopsy, that they were to wash their hands in water and chlorine. Water and chlorine. And they, they noticed that after a while, the, the death rates slowed away up. And more of the young women who were giving birth were, were living. They were surviving. And they were leaving with their babies healthy. And they noticed this birth rate, or pardon me, this death rate dropping drastically. And what, what Ingall Samuelweis tried to do was he went to the hospitals and, and the universities around Europe. And what he tried to do was he tried to get them to uh, apply this in every hospital across Europe. But I'm told the doctors across Europe said they know better than this and there's no way they're going to take the blame that they are the ones who's bringing this disease. Because even at this time, they thought disease was spread by the odors. 
So if there's a foul smell, the disease was the foul smell. And if you walk through the foul smell, well, you could catch that disease. And that's what they believed at this time. And so Engel Semmelweis, he, he, he tried to implement this. They wouldn't listen to it. And disease kept spreading. So uh, a few years later, in uh, Scutari in Italy, during the Crimea War, there was a young woman called Florence Nightingale. I'm sure we're all aware of her. And Florence Nightingale realized that there was a high a percentage of infections that we would know as infections now, but soldiers dying from uh, wounds that were festering and should be happening. And again, they were just working from one to the other, carrying one disease and one germ from one to the other. Florence Nightingale decided that every nurse was to wash their hands in running water. And they seen the infection rates start to drop drastically. The infectious diseases were not as prevalent among the soldiers coming from the battlefield into the field hospital tents. Isn't it, or is it strange that even today, these field hospitals that they're putting up um, around our, our nations at the minute with the COVID-19, is it not only that we're told to wash our hands quite a lot, to wash our hands often, is it not that these hospitals are called Nightingale's hospitals? Isn't that a little strange, or is it? And all of this, the Bible is a wonderful thing of showing us all of these things. For example, just on the washing of the hands before we turn back to the Word of God, I looked up the, the CDC, as it's called, and it's known the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. And under the heading hand washing, hand washing, it says in big letters, clean hands save lives. Clean hands save lives. And of just a line or two, and this is what it says. Wet your hands with clean running water, warm or cold. Turn the top off and apply soap. That's what it says. And the idea of this is it's hot or cold because they're saying now it really doesn't matter much if it's hot or cold, according to them. But they're turning the tap off because they're thinking of the waste of water. But here they're saying is that the, the washing of hands with running water is what brings the cleanliness with the soap to wash our hands in running water. You see, it also says that because if you were to wash your hands in a basin of static or still water, there could be contaminated, it could be have contaminated water, pardon me, and you could be recontaminating your hands in a basin of water. That is just a basin of still water. So here's, here's what I want to ask you. Have you washed your hands? You might have said, my skin is sore in my hands from all of this hand washing. My skin is drying out. Well, listen, we want to look a little further into this. Have you washed your hands? It seems so simple in 2020. So why would we not wash our hands? But as we said, up to 200 years ago, we didn't realize it. Florence Nightingale, uh, she, she brings it in the, in the Crimea War. Egnal uh, uh, Samoise before just a few years before her, but listen to what the Word of God says. This was in the Word of God. If men would just take the Word of God and do what it says, the Word of God tells us how to farm. I'm not a farmer; I'm a city boy, uh, but I couldn't tell you anything about farming. But it tells us about having seven fields and leave one over. Uh, that it may uh, gather the strength of the field, as the Bible says, it, it may gather the, the nutrients in the field. It tells us these things are seven. Uh, if you have a field, cut it into seven parcels of ground and leave one and do it once every seven years. It was like a, uh, it, it was like a time for it, for it to replenish itself. Notice what uh, Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 13 says. Let me just read it to you. And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days. We're told he self-isolated for seven days. The first seven days would already have passed in this person's uh, uh, illness because they would have went to the priest. 
The priest would have seen them and said, give it another seven days. So 14 days in, in total for their cleansing. That's what they're telling us today, isn't it? That's what they're saying today. It's all in the word of God. Here in Leviticus 15 and verse 13, it says, and he shall, he sh he, Then he shall number to himself seven, seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh, notice, in running water, and shall be clean. In running water. The Bible says running water. It isn't to be in a bath. It wasn't to be in static still water. In running water. God is way ahead of us. God's word is more up to date for us today than your local newspaper. Now I notice this. In Psalm chapter 24 verses 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Notice, clean hands and a pure heart. Notice here, and the one has not sworn deceitfully. Here we have the, ha the hands, the heart, and if you want, the tongue. The hands, the heart, and the tongue. The hands are the means. The heart is the motive, and the tongue is the manner. The heart, pardon me, the hands are the means. The heart is the motive, and the tongue is the manner of our life. So have you washed your hands? Have you clean hands before the Lord? I'm not talking even about running water. I'm talking about are you clean under the blood of Christ? Are you clean by trusting in the Lord? Or have your hands much to show? Have they got the disease and germs of sin of life? Has your heart got the motive of a fallen state where you think nothing of God? Has your tongue, has your tongue sang the songs of the world? The cursing and the swearing of the things of the world, the blaspheming of Christ. Notice here in Mark chapter 7 and verse 15, the Lord says, It's what comes out of the heart, what comes out of the man that makes him unclean. The woman makes her unclean. What comes out, speaking about Christ, the glories of Christ, the love of Christ, showing the grace of Christ. And notice here in Verse 6 of Mark chapter 7, he says, How be it in vain, pardon me, in verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, all the outward appearances is about religion. The heart is about relationship. All the stuff they were doing was man's tradition, it was the commandments of men. It was the elders' tradition. And he was saying, all of that means nothing. You can wash your hands all you like, but you can't wash yourself of sin. Your heart may not be right before God. Notice, religion is with the hands. The outward appearance. Relationship is from the heart. This psalm of Psalm 24 speaks of one's character before Christ. And stay with me for Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Notice what the Lord says, And when ye spread your hands, forth your hands, and when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. He said that to Israel. Isaiah the prophet says that, the Lord says it through him. And he says, your hands are full of blood. In other words, you, you have so much sin in your hands. Then in verse 16 he says, wash you, make you clean. In other words, he says, wash your hands. Turn back. Get from the traditions to the commandments of God. From the elders to the walking before the Lord again. From the outward appearance to the heart relationship. From religion to relationship with Christ. Notice here, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. So wash you, there's your hands, make you clean. This is a call to repentance. It's a bad word in many places today. It's a bad word where God says repent. It means a change of mind, a change of heart, to turn away from the world that you're in, to turn away from the things that you've done, to turn away from, the, from all of those sinful ways. To turn away and turn to God. 180 degree turn from the world to God. From sinning to holiness to righteousness. 
And so he's saying here that their hands are full of blood. The Hebrew is actually plural here and says bloods. Bloods. That means acts of wrong. That's what it means. From all your acts of wrong. From where your carnal, fleshy hands have brought you and done with you. And there we have the very means of it. So here we have cleansing was through the sacrifice. They had to go to the temple or the tabernacle before that. But the temple then and the cleansing was the slain animal, the blood of the lamb. It was through the sacrifice and the keeping of the law. And now it's through the sacrifice of the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the law being written on our hearts by the grace of God. The grace of God. And notice here, he says, your hands are full of blood. You need them washed. Here's something I thought about when I, I had written this. Cleansing then was through the sacrifice. Cleansing now or through the sacrifice. But it's different sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of Christ once and for all. But here's what I thought. People are fighting for their lives in ICUs in our country. All over the world, but in our country. Intensive care units. On ventilators. People are fighting for their lives. And the, the medical profession and the staff, they're doing their utmost and their best to help them recover from these, the, this disease. They're doing their best. They're trying their hardest. They're, they're putting themselves even in jeopardy that they might catch something. And, and we pray that they're, they're safe. But notice, people are fighting for their lives in ICUs in our country, in an intensive care unit. And there's politicians. There's politicians in our land. In Northern Ireland, in our land, there are politicians, while people are lying in ICUs, there are politicians who have been striving, who have been planning, who have been devising, and who have been uh, going with lobbyist groups for, and fighting to take the lives of the innocents for the abortion of little children. It's ridiculous. And now they're saying it has to happen in the hospitals. And one side we have these, these people, dear people, trying to fight for their lives and people fighting for their lives with them. And on the other hand, we have them now expected to go and take life, a little baby in the mother's womb, take their life, an abortion. They don't even get a chance at life. They don't even see the birth in their life. They don't get a chance to live their life. Oh, their hands are full of blood. Their hands are full of blood. And I won't apologize for that. The abortion clinics, their hands are full of blood. Let me put it in the Hebrew, your hands are full of bloods. James 4 and verse 8 says, Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Isn't that beautiful? I love it because when I go to stand in his presence, whether it's in this room or wherever I am, Father, I come in the name of Jesus. I come in his name alone, in his righteousness alone, through his precious shed blood alone. I come in the worthy, most precious name of your darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I draw nigh unto God in the Spirit. And I am conscious and I am aware that he draws nigh unto me. But that's not where he stops. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts. Ye double-minded. Here's the hand and the heart again. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Hands are the outward instruments of action. Hands are the outward instruments of action. They are the means by which we work and do. Where have our hands been and how clean are our hands? A man and woman outside of Christ your hands are not clean. Your hands are not clean. 
And only Christ has ascended, as it were, into the hill of the Lord, clean hands and a pure heart. But we in Christ ascend with him. We are one in him and in the Spirit. Notice, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your heart, you double-minded. The hands are the outward instruments of action, and the heart is the inward source of purity. I want to say it one more time, coming to a close. The hands are the outward instruments of action. The heart is the inward source of impurity. There's the motive, the means, and the motives are of the heart. The motives of the heart. Oh, today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. One more we'll look at, and this is me finished, in Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, please. In verse 15, reading, Matthew 27, verse 15, Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Will ye that I release unto you Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas, notice, and destroy Jesus. That's powerful, isn't it? Isn't that, what sort of a heart is that? Ask Barabbas and de destroy Jesus. Huh, they didn't know who they were dealing with. No idea who they were dealing with. Notice verse 21, the governor answered and said unto them, whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Then when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent. Of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. What a curse to bring in your children. Notice here, we know here is the decision, Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas or Jesus, who would you pick? Maybe you're not saved, who are you picking for? If you haven't picked Jesus, you might say, Oh, oh, oh I'll not pick any. No, you see, there's... The devil owns the fence, friend. There's no sitting on the fence with Christ. The devil owns the fence. He is not with me, is against me, Jesus said. And here they chose Barabbas over the Lord Jesus Christ. They chose a murderer over Messiah. They chose a murderer over Messiah. Barabbas means son of a father. And they chose the son of a father, an earthly father who was a murderer, rather than the son of the father who was Messiah. They chose the seditionist instead of the saviour. And they chose for his death. They called for him. Let him be crucified. His blood be on us and on our children. Friend, the blood of Jesus Christ will either, either save you or condemn you. The blood washing of the Lord Jesus Christ saves us and cleanses us from all of our sins who repent and, and who are come to the cross by faith and trusting in the blood that he shed for us for the payment of our sins. We're free. Free. But those who reject Christ, his blood will stand as a witness and testimony against them. For that's the only means and method for you to be forgiven, saved, and cleansed from your sin. And notice what they said. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. I think of AD 70 and the horrific things that happened in Jerusalem. Titus came, destroyed the temple. It said one million were killed or crucified in that siege. 
One million. And then I think of all the places they were scattered to and, and the persecutions. Oh, friend, that's only earthly persecution. It's the eternal one, eternal punishment. We need to have you think about eternity, eternal punishment, or eternal salvation. Have you washed your hands? Pilate took water. He would have taken it in a basin. And in front of the crowd, he washes his hands. Washed his hands of Jesus. Friend, I can tell you, there's no way he could wash his hands of Christ. And there's no way you can wash your hands of Christ. Pilate was guilty. He knew he was innocent. Yet he went with the baying crowd. Friend, you might go with the crowd. And you know you should be saved. You know you should give your life to him. And you know you should come to him. And you know you're not right with him. And you know that you're guilty before him. And you know should you die, you'd be lost for all eternity. You know it, but you'll still go on with the crowd. Because that's what you do. And that's easier for you. And that's, that's what people do. They walk with the crowd. Friend, Pilate went with the crowd. And he forsook his own soul. Tried to wash his hands in a basin. But you know what? You can wash your hands in a basin. What does it say? The germs might still be in the basin. They're still there. You're still just washing the same old muck. The same old germs over yourself. The running water that flowed from Emmanuel's veins. The blood and the water that flowed out is the only cleansing fount. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friends, I trust tonight that you've washed your hands. Twelve, you washed your hands. And God bless his word to us tonight. I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for watching and for listening. I want to thank you. I just want to buy in a word of prayer. And God willing, we'll see you Tuesday evening at 7.30, live again from here. Let us pray. Father, we pray if there's one who has not yet been washed by faith in the blood of the Lamb, we pray for them right now, Father, that you would convict them of their sin and bring them to the cross and save them for time and eternity. We pray, Lord, if there's one that has wandered away from the fold, Lord, one that has backslidden in their heart, Lord, that you would warn them again and call them back to the fold, Lord. We pray, O oh God, that you'd draw them back to yourself. Father, we pray for your people, Lord, it's, Lord, at this time that you would minister to them wherever they are, strengthen them and encourage them and bless them. We thank you, Lord, with clean hands and a pure heart, nothing because of what we have done, but because of Calvary's Lamb. We thank you, Father, that you see us perfect before you in the blood of Christ, declared righteous in Jesus' name. Father, we ask you now, Lord, to bless all who are sick and heal them. And Lord, bless all our CET members, family, friends, all who have come on to watch, and all who follow us here live, Father, and all who will watch later. We pray that this word would be an encouragement to them today, for we know we serve a risen Saviour, and we thank you, Lord, that you're in this world today in our hearts. Glorify your name. For Jesus' sake we pray and we ask it. Amen.